Hey guys, I screwed up this podcast. I'll spare you the technical details, but basically I recorded the entire thing with my laptop instead of my normal mics. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Matt is super insightful and Refuge is a fantastic organization. So my apologies, Matt, for not recording your insights with more clarity, but guys, I really hope you enjoy this. I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All righty, Matt, thanks for doing this, man. I really sure appreciate thing. it. Sure thing. Cool. So I met you... Um, at the Bevan Center, because yeah. we have this uh, this thing on Wednesdays where we come and uh, it's like what's it called? Coffee International Coffee Hour? Something, I think it something is. like that. Yeah. So every every Wednesday we have coffee and uh, and we just come and, and often the, the people at the Bevan Center, all you all you lovely folks, they uh, they bring different people from missions organizations around here. Right. And uh, and you came one one Wednesday morning and just kind of talked about refuge yep. and what and the work you do here and. and we got we had a couple of good conversations and I asked if you'd come and do this and you're super cool and agreed to I'm I'm stoked about that yeah I'm glad glad to do it cool so uh, can you tell me how you got involved in missions and you, maybe your testimony kind of how did you how did you get involved in this this wide world yeah yeah well I I came to faith at a young age and uh, a lot of uh, the means that God used were my parents. Uh, they really laid a, a good foundation for mine and my sister's faith. So, um, yeah, came to faith at a, at a young age um, and then really began to grow more in, in adolescence a little, little later after, uh, thankfully, a, a, a brief rebellion uh, turning away. God brought me back. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as the, uh, the interest in missions... I think from a from a young age, I guess growing up in a in a Baptist church, you know, in a Southern Baptist church, there was always the the understanding that Christians should share their faith, mm. that we should you know, be evangelistic and share the good news. Uh, many times that was uh, felt more as a a burden, and there wasn't exactly a, the best theology along with it mm. uh, to uh, to help me understand what. You know what the fullness of the gospel and, and, and how to share it, um, but at the same time I knew it was important, and so uh, it was in high school. Went with my family on a mission trip to Brazil. It was with the uh, the Kentucky Chorale, a music group at the time had a partnership with Brazilian Baptists. Uh, my dad was in that group, and um, they had a little extra money at the time and thought it would be great to take the whole family. So we all went. I sang with the group, and I just, that was my first time overseas, and just had a wonderful experience, and I just had had the opportunity, because of some schedule changes and some things that didn't work out, to to share my testimony with some school children, and of course through a translator, but I just remember thinking that what better thing could I do with my life than to spend it, you know, telling people about Jesus overseas. I can't say that was my calling per se, but it was, it was an initial you know, good, good experience and, and a, an impression that, that right. God built on later. 
Yeah. Awesome. And then, um, yeah, so we, you know, we're trying to, as, as with most missionaries, we got to be careful about um, where and how and the specifics. But you ended up overseas for a number of years, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, we, uh, the, the, I guess the theme of um, just contact with internationals continued. And that's kind of something I think a lot of times you look back and you see how God was working, preparing you for something. So all through high school, I just had a, a penchant for you know, foreign exchange students and you know hanging out with them. There were a lot of them on the tennis team. Uh, same thing in college. Worked with uh, international student ministry at the Baptist Student Union. And so uh, when, when I, met, I met my wife in college, uh, we didn't really sense a calling or didn't have a certainty about a calling into vocational ministry when we graduated. So we both went into just normal normal jobs, you know, secular careers. I was in sales. She was teaching school. And um, it was really through uh, a pastor uh, where I was serving part-time with music. We heard for the first time missions preached from texts in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And just uh, God really... Turned, through, through his preaching, God really turned us on to the theme of God's heart for the nations throughout the whole of Scripture. So he would share some Scriptures, you know, maybe in a, in a sermon on that theme, but then as we were reading our Bibles, we'd see a lot more. And so we realized, wow, he's really on to something. And so I think through that, missions in general just went from, a, a per, went from us understanding it as a peripheral matter in the church to a, a central matter on God's yeah, heart. And, yeah. and that, that led us overseas, led us to Southern, uh, and led us overseas. Awesome. And um, you were serving with Muslim people groups, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we had not, um, it's funny, uh, before that time, I had, I had known some Muslim students. I even remember... Uh, meeting a friend in college that spoke the language that we would later speak. Really? Uh, Urdu, yeah. And uh, at the time, you know, of course, we didn't know the future. And so, but, but oddly enough, we ended up landing, you know, in South Asia mm-hmm. to serve among this Muslim people, really not having had much exposure or interaction with, with Muslims. And so that made for a, an interesting First term, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, but uh, God had to, <clears throat> had to do a lot of work on on my heart. Um, but uh, but yeah, we served three terms uh, with a denominational mission agency mm-hmm. uh, there in South Asia among this people. Uh, I'll, I'll just give an overview real real quickly. Uh, you know, first term real frustrating, no fruit. God doing a lot of work on us. We kind of crashed out. Uh, second term. God was gracious to allow us to come back. Uh, really a new desperation to see him work and, and, and really pressing into prayer that he would. Uh, then God knitting together an Indian team that really shared our vision and uh, working together with them uh, to reach this people. And so um, that continued through the next, uh, you know, for two more terms with this with this uh, mission agency before we came back Um and had a little hiatus uh, here in the States. Right. What's that like? Um, you know, going, doing missions for, for a season of time and just that struggle of not seeing much fruit early on. Because I've heard a few stories here at Southern of people who went year long, 
years and years of stretches without any um, anyone coming to Christ. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time conceptualizing the amount of stamina that you would need. Like, yeah. I mean, what's that like? Yeah. Well, you know, for us, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is just the amount of pride that we went over with uh, that mm. we you know, shouldn't have had. I, I think we really, um, you know, just naively and, and uh, proudly thought that all it would take was us showing up and, um, you know, plugging in the right formulas, uh, implementing the right strategies, and, and uh, boom, you know, mm. we'd, we'd see a, a church planting movement. And I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, uh, I think we had heard some things to that effect that um, we heard reports of big numbers, you know, so it just kind of, I think that fueled expectations. Uh, but then just our own pride, you know, I think uh, churches often rightly celebrate uh, when God moves in people to send them overseas. That, that's good. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, it can go to your head yeah. <laughs> real, real yeah. easily. And so you kind of leave with a, a swollen head and, and really kind of, you know, believing that, uh, you know, you're on God's uh, A-team, so to speak, mm. you know, and, uh, uh, and and a little, maybe, you're his, his special forces, you know, uh, mm. so to speak, and, uh, but uh, but he has a, he has a way of, of humbleness, so I think for us, uh, maybe the worst thing that could have happened is to have had so-called success in that first term, uh, that, that might have been disastrous <laughs> but uh, as it was he, he really humbled us and uh, I think did did some necessary work in our hearts th- through you know yeah. and, and around the lack of fruit that's so interesting um, have you been uh, following this uh, Mark Driscoll like that mm. whole uh, Christianity Today podcast yeah I've, I've heard I haven't heard all of it I've heard I've heard some of it yeah that's that's sort of that's really interesting what you said about <laughs> yeah. like how it would have been a bad thing for you to have success early on. Yeah. Because I think, you know, someone like Driscoll had that success yeah. so fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, God was merciful. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um Yeah, so so you're in you're working with Muslims. Mm-hmm. What what kind of lessons did you learn from, from that that religion, that people group specifically? Like from 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 them, yeah, or, or as I was working with them, yeah, both and I both, suppose. Yeah, um, I think, um, yeah, I, I think maybe lessons from working with them. Uh, well, well, one, I think, early on, you know, I was just challenged with the reality that uh, I I brought over a lot of stereotypes. I mean, we got to the field. Not so long after 9/11, you know. So uh, that was 2001. We landed in November 2003. So, so you know, initially, whenever I found myself and I was seeking these people out, you know, but I would, you know, visit with uh, Muslims, and uh, when I was found myself face to face with, you know, uh, white-clad, uh, long-bearded stern-faced uh, Muslims, you know, I didn't think, oh, uh, I love you. You know, I thought Osama bin Laden, you know, as yeah. well. I mean, so it was just, uh, 
So it was a mixture, I think, of a fear of uh, hatred, mm. you know, suspicion. And so, uh, so I think after some of those uh, frustrating conversations and just, just arguments, really, and I was trying to learn language, realize that they're not all, you know, they're not all terrorists, you know, they're not all the same. Um, many of them, I mean, most are some of the most hospitable people you'd ever, ever meet. Mm. Um, so that would be a lesson from them, I guess, not only from them. I think most of the people that we interacted with there in South Asia, regardless of the religion, uh, very hospitable, uh, more mm. so than, than the average American. So, so yeah, hospitality definitely a lesson from them, a lesson working with them. Not not all Muslims are the same. Um, they're not all they're not all terrorists. Uh, but at the same time, you know, reading the Quran for ourselves, uh, the the whole of it, making copious notes, and uh, and and coming to grips with that side as well. You know, so it was it was it was kind of, uh, and that that was its own education. You know, there was there was one side of of Islam just interacting with people, and there was another education, you know, from really taking a deep dive into into their holy book. Yeah, that's super fascinating. Uh, if you go to if you go to visit a high Anglican church, and then uh, a Pentecostal church, you you probably would scarcely believe that they're drawn from the same. If you're an outsider, you yeah. would believe they're drawn from the same uh, holy book. Now, I imagine there's, um, am I right in thinking there's differences yeah. in Muslim expression, too, of, of yeah. what I believe? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I uh, There there are different different types of Muslims. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest types that we came across were, uh, they wouldn't have even identified necessarily as Sunni. I mean, most of them were, but uh, probably the biggest divide was just your normal Muslims, which mostly Sunni, and, and Sufi. Uh, so there were Sufis, kind of the mystics and the musicians, the poets, and that kind of thing. Um, but um, uh, oh, I just had a thought thought leave me. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it did different kinds of folks, but, uh, but oh, I remember. I think, too, we noticed a, um, that kind of like here, you know, sometimes the religion is just the cultural identity, and um, and it was interesting. A lot of times when we would you know, try to share the gospel, whether a person was a good Muslim or not, they sure wanted to seem like a good Muslim if mm. they were talking with a Christian. <laughs> and so it would almost be the equivalent of a a Christian being witnessed to by another faith, and they start quoting John three sixteen, and it may be the only. Bible verse they know, you know, but yeah, yeah. So that we saw saw that saw that a lot, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, what I I don't think there are too many Christians around here who read the Quran. At least when I I certainly haven't. I've read a couple pages, but that's it's on my bucket list to do yeah. eventually. Uh, what what was? Did you read the Quran? Like, did you have much studies in Islam before going there, or? What was it like reading the Quran through yeah. and kind of digesting that? Well, it was it was interesting. No, so no, I didn't have much uh, much study of the Quran or, or Islam. I'm sure we'd had a little bit. I'm sure we had a little bit, uh, you know, during our, our time at Southern. But we were in a program where we got uh, 
you know, we kind of did as, as uh, not as little as possible on campus, but it was, you did, I think, two-thirds of the degree on campus and a third overseas. So right. we, we didn't, uh, so it was kind of designed so that you were learning experientially on the field um, about the religions. But, uh, um, so yeah, yeah, the, uh, I think looking into the, into the Quran, what really pushed us into that was we had been exposed to a, uh, a method of sharing the gospel that, uh, they use the Quran kind of as a bridge. Mm. And, uh, and as I was trying to use that, uh, what, what often happened is, you know, I was quoting only from a few portions that I knew, you know, and of course, oftentimes the, the imam knew more, or he knew some context, or he, you know, had a spin on that that I really couldn't come back with. And so, so I kind of felt at times uh, almost like maybe I would feel or you would feel if a uh, person from a cult was using the Bible to try to share about their cult yeah. with, with you. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't appreciate it necessarily if they were just taking a verse here and taking a verse there. So it was kind of just the feeling that we're not really doing justice to this to their book. You know, we, we really yeah. we really owe it to them to uh, to read it all. And and it's not that it's not that big. It's it's about the size of the New Testament. And so uh, so yeah, we did. And, and it's a, it's a fascinating read. And, and it did give us just a lot of insight. And and I felt like gave a lot gave us a lot of confidence in sharing with Muslims because most have not ever read uh, the entire Quran in a language that's understandable to them. Right. That's uh, that's that's really insightful. Um, yeah, because I would imagine if, if someone, you know, if someone came to me and was trying to prove Jesus wasn't God by a couple of slapstick verses from the New Testament, I'd be like, come on, man. Like, yeah. I got a couple thousand years of rigorous church history yeah. that can come back and I had a much more comprehensive understanding of the, of the Bible. This yeah. wouldn't, I find it almost funny, mm. but definitely, that almost seems like a way you would be loving your neighbor, um, is by like respecting yeah. and understanding what they believe enough yeah. to really communicate with them. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, it's really interesting. I've heard that a few times that Muslims do hospitality very, very well. Yeah, yeah. And that you can learn a lot from that. Yeah, yeah. They. It really is. It's uh, and that's, that's uh, it's humbling. And of course, it carries over here to uh, when other cultures, other nations arrive here in in our country, they often maintain that same kind of hospitality. So. You know, now today with, with Refuge, I think one of the most precious things for our volunteers and one of the most eye-opening things, I think, is when uh, we pair them with, you know, a refugee here in the city uh, from, you know, all kinds of different countries. Um, they go there to teach them English or to help them obtain their driver's license or pass a citizenship test. But uh, we really try to communicate that, you know, while our volunteers... While it may be the case that our volunteers have the gospel and the refugee or immigrant does not, and that's not always the case, but but even when it even when it is, and and the person doesn't know Christ, it's still a a two way street in terms of blessing, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I think our volunteers are often surprised 
at uh, the hospitality and the kindness that's shown to them. Um, yeah, and that's something that they take away. They come away richer, you know, for that. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, so how did you... So you did a couple of seasons overseas, right? Yeah, yeah. We were we were about nine years with a denominational sending agency, and then we were, um, after a kind of a, a hiatus here in the States for a little bit, we went back and... Uh, four and a half years with uh, a non-denominational sending agency. Right. And were they to the same people group in the same location, roughly? or Somewhat. Yeah, we did uh, somewhat. Uh, toward the end, uh, I was supervising some teams in a few different countries in South Asia, and so we lived in, a, in yet another location. And by that time, our girls were older, uh, so they were in a, an international school. And, yeah, so those last... Last few years were a little different than the ones before them. Yeah, this is something I really want to talk to you about. <laughs> what is it like to parent as a missionary <laughs> and raising your kids overseas in different language contexts? Yeah. That's, that's so interesting to me. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure it's a different in every, um, depending on your field, you know. Um, I've heard stories of, you know, Latin America, for example, uh, where they just nobody speaks English and so the kids grow up become perfectly fluent um, and the culture is kind of close enough with American culture mm -hmm. that uh, it almost becomes like a, a second home you know um, South Asia was kind of interesting because there was um, there's a lot of English you know from the colonial legacy uh, and so uh, enough enough English to make learning the local language difficult sometimes, mm. and um, and so in the case of our daughters, uh, most of their you know, childhood friends that they played with uh, went to English medium schools, and uh, sometimes might have spoken different languages in their homes, and so they communicated on the playground in, in English. <laughs> Interesting. So so yeah so our um, our girls do understand some of the, the language that we speak, they have a pretty good understanding. Um, but yeah, that, that made for a little different different dynamic. Um, but, you know, I wish my wife was here uh, to answer this question because um, I think you, you go through seasons overseas. You know, the, the single missionary has a very different experience than the married couple. And then um, ministry itself changes also. And when, when children are in the picture, uh, Oftentimes, not always, but uh, you know, the the wife often does look after the, the children at home, and and ministry is connected with the home. Mm -hmm. um, and in you know, pre-homeschooling days, uh, a mom might be even more mobile than than later. Uh, but you kind of learn from that hospitality and try to open your home as a hospitable place. And so, uh, a lot of ministry takes place in the home. Uh, whether discipleship meetings, Bible studies, uh, you know, meetings with teammates. Um, and, and sometimes that's challenging because, uh, especially as kids get older and homeschool is trying to take place, and maybe you also have a meeting in the home. And anyway, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes challenging. I think a lot of missionaries... One of the big prayer requests a lot of times is just for friends, you know, for mm -hmm. their kids. Um, depending on the field, uh, missionary kids stick out 
maybe more or less. And uh, but I think as they get older, the uh, the self perception maybe of the cultural gap between you know the passport country and and the host country uh, becomes more uh, palpable yeah. and and makes. Uh, it just makes friendships a little more challenging, but it's it's a rich life, though. I mean, it's uh, when I think about the places that we went with our girls and uh, just the experiences they had with with national uh, believing friends and um, places they went. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a rich life, and God honors His promise to you know give a hundred times as many homes and children and fathers and mothers and brothers and lands, all that. You know, when we leave things for the for His sake and the gospel's sake. Cool. Did you ever feel um, that your family was unsafe in the context, or, or what was your biggest worries, I guess, when yeah. it came to raising a family? And I don't want to ask that presuming that you're in, like, you know, terrorists around every corner, yeah, yeah, yeah. per se, but... Yeah, you know, um, I think before we went to the field, we... It, it seemed like I, I remember when we first arrived, there were a lot of things that seemed unsafe mm. uh, because I was seeing them through, you know, American lenses. Um, for example, uh, you know, uh, if, if a place was dark or like looked real dingy or had a bad paint job or something like that, and I would think, oh, that that's probably not a not a good place. Um, but uh, it, it might not have been, you know. So. Um, no, we we were not. Um, I mean, there were, de- there were definitely some times when uh, you know struggled with fear. I mean, in some specific situations, but just in general, on a day to day basis, uh, our particular context was not was not like that. And um, and though we stood out as foreigners, a lot of times uh, it it was. It, it could be to our advantage. I mean, if, if we were in a tight spot, um, and in other contexts, that might not be the case, you know. Um, so um, there, there were other other struggles, but the safety, I think, wasn't necessarily one that was we were mindful of on a day-to-day yeah. basis. Gotcha. And then how, um, how old were your kids when you were kind of in your different mission phases? Yeah. So our oldest uh, was 18 months when we went to the field, and our uh, youngest, uh, both, both of our girls were adopted, and so our, our youngest, uh, we were in process with her during our first term, and then picked her up during our first furlough. Huh. Yeah, so she was, I guess when she went back with us, she, it must have been kind of around 18 months too, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Did you have any... Um, Problems adopting, if the adopting adoption agency knew that you were planning on going overseas, did that give you a headache at all? Or uh, no, they that wasn't a that wasn't a deal breaker uh, with them. And and since we were already feeling called overseas, uh, that's one of the things we asked up front. Um, when you're trying to adopt from overseas, that's that's a little. Uh, like arranging a home study, things like yeah. that are a little, little, uh, uh, little more involved, you know, when you're doing it from a distance like that. But, um, but yeah, thank, thankfully, no, they, they, they don't bar you from, uh, uh, from adopting if you have plans to go overseas. So that, that could be a, a 
an encouraging word to any out there yeah. that are thinking about adopting and being and being a missionary. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm incredibly passionate about adoption, and a lot of my friends and I, you know, kind of at the, at that phase in life, have those conversations. Yeah. And one of the things that always comes up is the horror stories. You know, like cost this and this and this much, or you know, Christians can't just can't adopt these days. And I never know how much validity they have. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or if frankly, if the barriers are even the point, you know what mm. I mean? But, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would, uh, encourage anyone that is thinking about adopting, uh, not to let uncertainty of where the money will come from be a deterrent. Um, I know in, in both of our girls' adoptions, I don't think we knew where all the money was going to come from at the beginning. Uh, when we started the process, but God, God was faithful to uh, to provide it, and uh, in in some surprising ways, un- unforeseen ways, and so um, so yeah, yeah, I would encourage people just to go ahead and try. And we we've also you know had times we've tried to adopt beyond uh, the two successful times, and mm-hmm. and God closed the doors, you know. So you just. Uh, you just never know till you till you try, and then you and you pray as you try, you know, and trust that God works through that to accomplish His purposes. Totally. So, how did you get involved with Refuge Refuge International? Yeah, we've said it a few times. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, so we were we were overseas. Our oldest was getting ready, you know, college, coming to college age in her senior year at an international school over there, and. Um, yeah, for, for different re- that was one big reason, and, and and some other reasons as well. We just uh, we our visa situation where we were living wasn't real tenable, uh, and we and we were just I guess felt led to look for an opportunity to come back um, to the states as she was looking at at college, and so um, yeah, so we were. This doesn't sound real real spiritual, but uh, we were just you know looking at job boards. Uh, you know, looking at uh, job listings online, different things like that, different ministry positions. So from the other side of the world, I was applying for different different ministry positions, doing interviews through Zoom. Uh, this was before COVID, so this was 2019. Um, yeah, and then uh, I was actually on a trip, and my wife texted me, I think, on WhatsApp and said, hey, you should check out this this uh, position with refuge, and uh, so you know, in a hotel room, you know, in a, a, another country from where we were living, I uh, looked into it and filled out the application and, and started that that process. So, but it's really been, um, you know, in many ways, a dream come true and just an amazing fit because it's allowed it's allowed me to serve very much in my calling as. Um, you know, missionary, uh, yet here in, in in the United States, and and be with you know our, my family and my oldest daughter in a time of, of transition. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So what position do you hold at Refuge? Yes, I'm I'm the executive director, and um, there was uh, I guess a year prior to my coming where Refuge was uh, they had a kind of an inter- interim uh, director. Um, and then I came in February of, uh, 
2020. Yeah, right before right before COVID hit. Yeah, right before the world ended. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Gotcha. And then um, tell me about what Refuge does. Sure. What's the process here? Yeah, so our, our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by partnering with local churches to love refugees and immigrants. Or, or put another way, we, we, we love refugees and immigrants and serve them through local churches. It's just another way of saying it. But uh, we receive volunteers from the local church, and we really provide, as they equip the saints for ministry, we provide ministry outlets uh, for their members. And so we have right now, um, I think around, there's been a, a big increase lately with all the Afghan evacuees, but we have around 120, 130 uh, active uh, volunteers right now uh, hailing from about 40 plus churches in, in greater Louisville area. And uh, we receive referrals for refugees through our relationship with Launch Properties. Uh, they're a, a, a for-profit company owned and operated by like-minded individuals, and uh, they provide affordable housing, um, and that's very appealing to refugees and immigrants. So their resident managers will refer, you know, when they come to know of refugees that need help learning English, uh, preparing for the citizenship test, or just navigating life in America, they'll refer to us, mm. and then we connect volunteers. Um, so I, I would say that. That's probably what Refuge's niche is, is actually helping people get involved in ministry. I think a lot of people know that Louisville's a lot more diverse place than it used to be. They, if, they, if they're in a healthy church, they know that they should be loving their neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, they know that they should be taking the gospel of the nations, but may just not know how to get started. So we really help people actually do it. And uh, with pairing them, introducing them, walking alongside them with our staff to help them in ministry. That's that's great. Because yeah, that's something that's uh, it's terrifying. Like <laughs> yeah, Muslims are coming from you know from this Afghan crisis. Uh, love them. Go. Yeah. It's like yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Like that's there's a yeah. lot of bridges that you can yeah. cross there. Yeah, and I think the for a lot of people, I mean it. it it doesn't sound like much, but um, you know we're all used to communicating with people that understand us, um, that understand our everything from our language mm -hmm. to our nonverbal cues to our culture, and uh, just interacting with someone that doesn't share those is is daunting. And um, so when we make those introductions, we we do our best to have a staff member present, you know, to help in that. What, what usually is the most fragile part of the relationship. Um, but so often, you know, it's, it's really a transformative uh, experience for the, for the volunteer as, as well. So, um, and then we try to keep the churches posted also. with the, We have a feedback letter that goes out every quarter to our church leaders. We really want them to feel like they've made a sound investment by allowing their members to serve with us that's that's our hope that it will be uh, uh, that their service will filter back uh, to the church through prayer requests through you know praises shared and uh, that they'll they'll really feel like they've done right by sending a, a local missionary you know to a yeah. local field that's awesome 
and I presume you have, or I presume a lot of the um, refugees coming are really anxious to learn American culture and to, to fit in to some degree. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it really is um, a unique opportunity because, you know, to, to go to another country, uh, and there's still a great need for people to go, you know, cross cross cultural barriers by going to other countries, mm. uh, but it, it is it's very expensive. Um, it you know the reality is that it often takes uh, years to really learn a language and become uh, proficient enough to really share intelligibly, understandably with people in the culture. Um, yeah, and so I think God's really shaking it up, so to speak, by bringing so many of the nations to us mm. and uh, you know and and yes there are certain cultural blunders that you know our volunteers are probably going to make but uh, you know at the end of the day uh, it, it's here not yeah. there you know? yeah. <laughs> so making a blunder in someone else's country is uh, is worse than uh, making a blunder <laughs> in your own you know so so it's uh, yeah so it's uh it really is a neat, neat opportunity to um, the God that God's given us. Yeah. Are there any uh, classic blunders that, that <laughs> Westerners make um, to, to Muslims or from uh, that part of the world? Man, um, you know, I, I don't. I think I think people are pretty forgiving uh, usually, uh, just because they know that you're, you know, you're from a different place. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you asked me this question before, and I couldn't I couldn't think of anything. I, there's got to be uh, a lot of funny stuff, but it's it's uh, yeah, I, I can't yeah. I can't think of uh, like a common cultural or a you know uh, the one that uh, the one that's sort of on our side that I know a lot of the guys at at, um, at the Bevin Center talk about is is you know here if if someone invites you for food, you just go, ah, no, I'm not hungry. Oh yeah, fine, right? No, no one cares. But oftentimes, um, people from those cultures are very insistent. Like, yeah. you will eat here. Oh yeah, or you will take what I've offered. Right. And so we've got a ton of stories at the Bevan Center of, of uh, guys who are like, you know, we're given a Red Bull at at you know eleven thirty at night and very insistently asked to drink it. Oh yeah, going, okay, yeah. And so you know, yeah. they're wired for the rest of the night and stuff. Yeah, which yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of that. We would think of it as oppressive generosity, but yeah. it's, it's for them. It's very, yeah. it's very natural. Yeah, I was uh, with uh, an Afghan family the other night, and uh, they brought out this, you know, delicious uh, kabli pulao, this rice dish, and uh, or actually, I served myself. I think they, they was kind of there were a lot of folks there, and it was I, served, I I got as much as I thought I wanted to eat, you know, and then later they came, they found me and and, and gave me another plate of rice and. Uh, and I, I just said, no, nah, I can't eat anymore. And and then, um, you know, one of the Afghan men said, oh, it's it's very it's impolite, you know, not to eat everything that your that your host gives you. And I was pretty sure he was joking. Uh, so I just I I did eat more, but I didn't eat the whole plate. You know, <laughs> so it's just uh, yeah. There's that kind of thing happens a lot. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. That's uh, that's cool. Refugee seems like it's it's doing some really great work. Yeah, yeah. The the recent outpouring uh, with the Afghan mm. refugees has been really 
uh, encouraging. Um, we've seen a, just a dramatic increase uh, in interest in serving, and uh, our, our main means of responding to Afghan evacuees has been through our cojourning program. And the cojourning program is, is basically a group of church members, oftentimes a community group, that we deploy for short-term aid. So it's oftentimes when there's a specific need in view on the refugee side or they're just brand new in the country and they have lots of needs. So a lot of these cojourning teams from different churches here in the area that are helping these Afghan families, um, they're helping with transportation, um, they're helping you know, get internet installed, uh, get phones set up, um, take them to appointments with Catholic charities. Um, they've taken them to, to worship with them, you know, uh, helping them with, um, uh, I guess Catholic charities is probably helping with some of the schooling options. But, uh, but yeah, they're just really getting into their lives, and, uh, and that's that's been really, really neat to see. Mm -hmm. It's really stretched us as an organization uh, as well. Um, we've had, uh, along the way, we set up um, a dedicated fund uh, just for the expenses of, of some of these Afghan refugees because the the typical federal funding through the resettlement agencies hasn't hasn't been there mm -hmm. and so uh, there's been a great outpouring uh, of interest in volunteering of donations to the Afghan fund and um, at present though we're really if, if God moves anyone's heart to give we're really uh, in great need of just funding for the cojourning program um, which is the underlying means of delivery for everything that's all the ministry that we're doing and all the cojourning teams are doing uh, with Afghan refugees. Uh, so we just updated our website. Um, it has some uh, tells you how you can how you can give to support that program and uh, and what different amounts of giving will accomplish. Hmm. Cool. And I'll I'll throw the website into the show notes. Oh yeah. Or into yeah. the description of the, great. of the podcast. So yeah. Which I guess you'd say um yeah, you probably agree that volunteering with refuge is a really great first step in missions. Yeah. Um not that it isn't super meaningful in and of itself, but if you're yes. thinking of going overseas. Yes. Starting here, being able to stay local, not spending too much money in plane tickets. Yes. That's a great way to get into the culture. Yeah, it, it I'm glad you said that, and, and um, it, it reminded me of one other thing, too, I'll just say before I forget. Mm -hmm. With everything we do, uh, we want to both meet a real need that refugees and immigrants have. We want to do that well, but also we're hoping that a genuine friendship will develop, mm -hmm. and that through the friendship that Christ will be seen in, in word and deed over time. I think that's really the, uh, the the strongest, you know, the most thorough gospel presentation. Not that others aren't valid, but uh, when it's possible, that's that's really strong when people can see your lives, your your families, your marriages, and that's really possible through through what we do. Um, but yes, as far as a stepping stone for missions, uh, I would agree. I think that um, through serving with refuge. You, you, when you, and, and, and because much of the ministry of refuge happens not in a building that we have, but in the homes of refugees and immigrants, um, you are put into their culture. You know, you're ministering on their turf a lot of the times. And uh, so, yes, if, uh, 
if your first time to ever experience kind of being in another culture or on someone else's schedule or you know just or hearing another language if, if, if your first time is, is experiencing that overseas it, it may be a lot more difficult to, mm -hmm. to process so so yeah I would say it's it's um, serving with refuge is a uh, it's a low time commitment it's a low risk but a great way to to kind of wade in and get your feet yeah. wet yeah totally um, one of the things I've learned um, I, I, I work more with um, homeless and addicts mm -hmm. And I live at the yeah. Reed Center right now. It's, it's, you say, uh, you know, low risk and low mm -hmm. time commitment. Uh, one of the important things I've learned is that translates to sustainability. Because mm -hmm. you might think, you know, you sh we should be investing and doing all this stuff. And the reality is, is whether we like it or not, we have lives. Mm -hmm. But if you have a, a, a sustainable, regular way to do mission work, in your local context, right. that can last for months and months and months yes. and months and months, as opposed to, you know, the kind of mission work you do on a short-term mission trip is completely unsustainable for right. the rest of your life. Yes. You have that divorce. You yes. go to missions and then come back. Yes. And, yeah, I, I think there's a huge need, and which is why Refuge is super cool, about yeah. having something that is realistically integrated into your life, right. but that can last for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, along those lines, I'll give a, a plug for one opportunity within refuge uh, that's of a kind of a more sustained missions exposure type and also uh, I'll give a plug for our for-profit partner launch uh, launch has resident managers that serve in lieu of landlords basically so each they serve in the the, the uh, residential communities uh, where the launch owns and manages um, so about four different locations here in Louisville but they each are responsible for about 50 tenants. So uh, they have, you know, some uh, basic duties, changing air filters, picking up trash, uh, you know, delivering late notices. <laughs> uh, so it's not easy. Uh, yeah. it's, not, it's not easy. But uh, over time, they really get into the lives of their tenants. And um, so in terms of another great preparation for mm. the field, is this uh, resident manager opportunity through launch? And am I right? Uh, they don't. You you get free housing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You do. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of folks do it while being a student mm -hmm. or while working another job. Um, they're busy, but but uh, yeah. but it is possible. Um, and that and that really puts you, the resident managers in a position where people from all these different countries, when they're you know, they have cockroach problem or leaky toilet. I mean, they come they come to you, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, the other uh, opportunity that I'll just give a plug for is with our um, Nations Next Door program. And the Nations Next Door is uh, kind of a flipped missions experience uh, that we offer. It's it's especially geared for churches outside of the city. But instead of leaving and going to another country, we bring student groups to Louisville and uh, have a missions experience for them. So they hear uh, stories from refugees, from, uh, from missionaries. They go on an amazing race where they're scurrying all around town trying to pick up different items and competing with you know, other people uh, their, with their group um, and uh, hosting a cookout you know, in a park where a lot of refugees and immigrants gather. So it's a really neat uh, experience. It happens over one day, weekend, or week-long uh, time periods. 
But we're currently building uh, an internship program because uh, after having a kind of a test phase this past summer, we realized we really need interns that we can work with and invest in that can help with this. So we're looking for about six to eight uh, interns for summer 2022. Cool. And uh, they'll support Nations Next Door, but it'll be its own its own program uh, with its own um, you know, growth opportunities, mission opportunities, uh, interaction with our staff, uh, participation in our, our staff meetings, and they'll have their own mission project for the summer. And, um, and, and probably, we're hoping to live in a launch unit in the midst of refugees and immigrants. So it poses to be also a really neat stepping stone for, for missions for those that might be inclined that way. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same here. Do you feel like there's anything else that's, uh, that's relevant in this, in this space that we haven't covered yet? I mean, clearly there's near endless things that could be talked yeah. about. I feel like this is a good... No, it's a good, it's a good start, yeah. yeah. It's a good overview of what you guys do. Yeah. And I really appreciate you, uh, you sitting down and chatting with me for a bit. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for, for giving me the mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at It's the Volk. Have a good one, guys.